Welcome everyone to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, where we seek catharsis in this age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we learn to always read the footnotes. And each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of Bullshit Mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I'm Emily M. Bender, a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, director of research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. This is episode nine, which we first recorded on February 17th of 2023. And we're here to tear down all the hype about applications for large language models in medicine. From AI that can supposedly pass medical exams to some of the weird diagnoses these models might offer patients. Look out for one of our favorite phrases, construct validity. That'll be coming back as we continue to question whether the tests we apply to AI actually reflect any model's capacity to do the things the hypers claim it can. Welcome to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000. And you just heard our brand new theme music written by the amazing composer Toby Menon. Um, and I want you all to know that I know how to get in touch with him. So if you are looking for something composed for your own Twitch stream or podcast or just, you know, listening pleasure, uh, let me know and I can put you in touch. He is an amazing, I would say young-ish composer. Amazing. Oh, big fans in the chat. Uh, all right. So why am I wearing this stethoscope that I can't actually, put in, can't actually put in my ears? Oh, it just has enforced everything. Oh, I actually can hear it now. Let me see. Am I alive? Let me double check. Okay, I'm actually putting a stethoscope on my heart. But it's because we're talking about health today. And we're talking yes. about the uses of health and generative models, of which there's been a lot of surprising uh, hype in this area over the past few weeks. Oh, yes. so we got a lot to talk about. Um, We've got a lot to talk about. I've shared my screen. Can you see it? Yes, we can. All right. Um, and yeah. I, I should say, I'm going to take this time to, to honk my little bona, health bona fides, um, is that my, <laughs> I am uh, weirdly, in, in the depths of the pandemic, decided to get my EMT license. I have never practiced being an EMT, um, but I have passed a test, which apparently, according to all these things, is sufficient for, for diagnosis and, and actually do, doing something yeah. here and treating real human patients. Yeah. But let's so talk about, to, what's this? Yeah, we need to talk a little bit about construct validity. So you passed the test, you, a person, a skilled mm -hmm. person, did some training experience, and then there was a test that was built by other people to evaluate whether or not you um, absorbed enough from that experience. But it's not directly assessing what's in your brain, mm -hmm. right? It is it is a way for you to show some of the knowledge and maybe skills, depending on how the test went, um, mm -hmm. that uh, would give people some confidence that you are, you know, licensable or ready to go on to the next level of training or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? Right. And I mean, the, yeah, and, exactly. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's some kind of a, a bar that's supposed to be for admission here. And it's, you know, as yeah. a, there's been massive amounts of work on testing by, you know, with the rise of psychometricians, you know, for better, or for worse. But, you know, that's the sort of field that kind of came up with the whole concept of construct, you know, construct validity and assessing, you know, what is in one's brain and, and kind of these fields of evaluation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 
So we're taking these tests and which are, you know, either just directly in the kind of text format that one of these large language models can manipulate or are turned into that text format, depending on which one of these you're looking at and saying, hey, look, the large language model can get the right answer at the percentage of the time that would be passing for a human. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's not the same thing. That doesn't tell us that the large language model has acquired the skills that would allow it to go be an EMT. Can you imagine? Hey, ChatGPT, come over here. This person needs CPR. Right. Well, I mean, CPR is not done in a lot of cases, but more in sense, it's sort of like, you know, you need to do basic kinds of first aid. You basically need, but doing any kind of a field assessment is incredibly, you know, is incredibly different, difficult instead of seeing different types of presenting diagnostics. And given mm -hmm. that it's sort of language, I mean, doing that kind of live and in an emergency situation you know, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's very contextual, right? So let's, let's describe what we're looking at. So we're looking at this, yeah. this tweet from AI breakfast. Um, and it says, because last we all need some AI hype for breakfast. Clearly. I, oh my gosh. It's too early. I can't, I can't, but yeah. unfortunately we're doing this to, to, to get some, you know, get some more folks <laughs> from Europe watching. Um, so it says last week, chat GPT passes us medical licensing exam today. GPT's medical knowledge is distributed into a smooth UI. And this is uh, hyping for this, this particular company startup. Glass AI generates a differential diagnosis or clinical plan based on a problem representation. And try Glass AI. Yeah. And so they've got right. here, yeah, they've got a demo here. And going into the demo, it says, you first, first off, this gave me a bit of a chuckle because when you click into it there's a pop-up here and uh, it says this product should not be used by a general audience and does not generate general medical advice this product should only be used by clinicians including physicians physicians assistants nurse practitioners uh, pharmacists and clinicians in training and i find this idea of like these things as being teaching tools which is like very a weird framing as if yeah. giving an answer should be considered sort of a teaching tool rather than uh, becoming something that people become over-reliant on uh, in terms of automation bias. Next time when we meet, this is previewing, we're talking with a legal scholar. And I think there wasn't there's this case I think we were talking about in which there was a judge, I think, in Colombia that actually just used a chat GPT generated uh, um like yeah. a decision so to make it as something that says using it for training or used as sort of a way to assess ex expert knowledge you're also you know you're also not considering kind of the political economy and the um, types of constraints put on work that are going to force people to use these tools as shortcuts kind of as the workload ends up and it just generating and perpetuating uh, all kinds of nonsense. And if this were training, then it would have to be ensconced in some sort of theory of how is this an effective teaching tool? Yes. Right. Exactly. And it seems like all these things when it's framed as, oh, this is something people can use for teaching, assumes that teaching is just about accessing facts Never mind that this isn't even facts because it's, you know, made <laughs> right, up sequences of words, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, I would love for folks that claim these things are for training to take, you know, one class on pedagogy, you know, that talks about yeah. 
how learners learn and you know what mental modeling scaffolding does. This is doing none of it, right? This is saying you give an input yeah. and I'll give it a, give an answer and that'll yeah. get you know it's it's and and so it's frustrating. So the evidence that's interesting to me about this disclaimer here, this you know, um, by checking this box, you attest that you are a clinician and that you accept our terms of service. Um, yeah, we see so much sort of just like cowboy stuff going on where people are are putting up tools and claiming they can do things, and um, medical care is a very regulated part of our mm. society. One of and the so most this, regulated. Yeah. Yeah. For good reason. Mm -hmm. And so this company is sort of saying, okay, we know that we can't be putting this out there as if it were providing medical advice to the general public. And so we're just going to put it on you, the person accessing this to say, yeah, 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 I'm I'm going to attest that I'm a clinician and therefore I should have access to this. Um, seems right. pretty flimsy. And also, I should say, um, inconsistent with the way it's being hyped. Now, AI mm -hmm. breakfast is not glass AI. Right. Um, but note, this tweet is still up. Glass AI did not ask for it to be taken down. Mm -hmm. It's been up for more than two weeks. So, yeah. you know, this is, they aren't, they aren't trying too hard to be um, kept out of the general public. Right. All right. So, so Alex, on the strength of your EMT license, yeah. <laughs> should I click this? <laughs> click the box. I, I can show you my licensure, put it on camera. I thought about bringing it out here, but you're going to have to take it on faith that you know, me having a stethoscope <laughs> at, at, you know, my disposal makes me, uh, you know, uh, have my bona fides. Um, so you enter a diagnostic problem here, the way that we're looking at this. It says, um, enter a diagnostic problem represented below to generate a, a, a DDX, uh, so a diagnostic um, uh, or a clinical plan. I, I type something in here. Um, you know, as, as sort of a uh, an EMT case, um, okay. but I I actually want to be a little um, I I want to be a little more cagey here. So I tried to type something in. First off, you you have to give it uh, a gender, and I wanted to try what it would do with mm. a non-binary gender, um, mm -hmm. because so much of so much at least of emergency medi med medical training is very gendered. Um, you know, any kind of thing with abdominal pain. Uh, can has to be assumed to be a pregnancy if it's a it's a if the person is a female, mm. um, and I, I you you only get one shot at this because I don't think it doesn't let you do more than one, um, but I would think uh, like let's think of something so try the try typing this in Emily, um, okay. uh, thirty seven year old woman. Um, presents with, um, oh, uh, notice uh, that the, the buttons just lit up. I think yeah. I yeah. Presents with, just, <laughs> yeah, just do it. Um, presents with acute, uh, abdominal pain, um, and then period, uh, um, um, you know, patient, uh, uh, it, you know, like. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I don't know what to, what to put in there. Patient is diaphoretic, uh, which means they're sweaty. <laughs> um, is that how I spell this? Diaphoretic? Uh, D, uh, D, yeah, that okay. diaphoretic. And is, you know, and is, um, 
uh, and has, let's see, um, uh, tachycardia. I'm just putting in words here, which just means they have a high heart rate. All right, generate this diagnosis and see what, what happens. All right, generating DDX, which I think is differential diagnosis. D- differential diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it's thinking so pretty hard. It's, it's thinking. It's thinking. It's thinking. Um, and I noticed that we still have the same disclaimer. This product is not intended by use for use by a general audience and does not generate medical advice. Yes, yes, yes. You know how to use CYA. Okay. We have acute appendicitis or acute cholecystitis. Um, and well, it's, I don't know so, what cholecystitis um yeah pancreatitis small bowel obstruction or gastroenteritis yeah um so that it gives you so it gives you a list of what these could be um so going up um so acute pain uh so acute appendicitis it's also just saying acute in all of these Mm. which i'm not you know, like I'm not a uh, in, in any kind of way to be a diagnostic kind of it's not within the um, kind of um, uh, realm of of an EMT kind of with basic state training in California to make diagnostics. You can sort of suspect things and then the the mm-hmm. the, the ER doctor then does then has to make the diagnostic, but he's just putting acute and everything. So the first one reads. This is most. This is the most likely diagnosis due to the patient's age, the acute onset of abdominal pain, diaphoresis, and tachycardia. The classic presentation of appendicitis is abdominal pain that begins near the navel and then migrates to the lower, right lower quadrant. The pain is usually accompanied by anorexia. Accompanied by anorexia? What? Wait, <laughs> um, what? Isn't that a chronic condition? Uh, nausea, vomiting, and fever diaphoresis and tachycardia are also common symptoms. All right. So up until you got to that point, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is actually pulling out sort of canned definitions of each of these things rather than generating a fresh, but like mm-hmm. uh, anorexia is a very weird that's thing a, there. That's a curious one. If you're in the comments, in the chat, and you're a medical professional, professional I'm, not, I'm not a medical professional that I can uh, diagnose anorexia or associate appendicitis with anorexia. My understanding that that's a chronic condition, but to say that is presenting as something that would be the basis of a diagnosis is a little weird. Um, but yeah, back me up in the comments or in the chat. Yeah, the pain is usually accompanied by anorexia, nausea, vomiting, and fever. So, uh, pain is accompanied by makes sense with nausea, vomiting, and fever for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wait, you you have appendicitis and that causes the onset of anorexia. I I think it's <laughs> I think it's the other way where the causality is anorexia. Yeah. But anorexia is sort of um not a chronic condition. Maybe much much earlier. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. The other definitions pretty much are uh, um, pretty much are verbatim. The only difference is that it's the acute uh, cholecystis, which I'm assuming has to do something with liver because the only additional um, thing is jaundice, and it talks about mm-hmm. a right upper quadrant um, pain, which is the the location uh, of the uh, of the of the liver. Um, Small bowel obstruction, pretty much a word by word. And constipation is the only additional one. And gastroenteritis. So I feel like we're maybe giving this fake text a little bit too much attention here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm just trying to pick out what's it thinking. It's not, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So, so this is presented as what? What does Glass AI say that it is? Frictionless software for learning and practicing medicine. That's frightening. So, yeah. uh, create class account. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Can you generate gener yeah. a clinical plan? Because I want to see okay. what this says. Let's do that. To... But then I also, we've got a bunch of things here. Yeah, we've um, got a lot of things. Um, I also just, if I was writing this, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a really, I'm thinking about my own experience studying for the EMT exam. And I don't think it would be super helpful. I think it would have sort of, you know, like it would have not really no, told me like why I could get there. Um, and it wouldn't really, you know, there, there's, and I mean, it's not a straight A for B kind of learning. I mean, you have to kind of, kind of consider no. these different things and also trying to understand what different kinds of presentations um, may lead to. And if you're using this appropriately, you would have to always have some uncertainty. Like it might have bad information somewhere. It might have just made something up. And so if you're trying to take it in, but always sort of like keeping some distance because it might be wrong or you don't know where it really came from, that actually makes it much harder to learn. Like skepticism is good. Critical analysis mm -hmm. is good. But um, the sort of being on your guard for a random thing pops in because the system made something up is just, I think, going to detract from the learning experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is actually, now this, the clin the clinical plan is even more uh, shocking. It says, a 34-year-old woman presents with acute abdominal pain. Uh, she is diaphoretic and has tachycardia. These symptoms suggest a possible abdominal aortic aneurysm. First off, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, if there's yeah. an aortic aneurysm, it's probably not going to be in the abdomen. It's probably going to be higher. Uh, but mm. then it, it, but then it has... So, so it doesn't have the five as aortic aneurysm is the first one and diverticulitis as the last one, which is not, mm. <laughs> which are both, um, so, aortic aneurysm is when there's a, the aorta can rupture and diver diverticulitis is when, um, oh gosh, I'm resting on this, but I think it's a, actually a thing where the, the presence in the, um, in the, it's a heart condition. Um, all right. But so okay, maybe yeah, more than we I, need to do I'm in just, I'm detail, just very, but... but I'm just very like, you know, it's just, it's just very, you know, and then, and then, okay, this is actually pretty concerning here. I just want to say this and then we can move on. The, the treatment here for, for freaking either aortic aneurysm or appendicitis is pain medications, <laughs> IV fluids and antibiotics. No, honey, you got to take the fucking appendix out. Or you need to get and do open heart surgery for a aortic yeah. aneurysm. You don't, like that is, you can't really wait on that. No, no. Exactly. And, but it's also really striking, as you know, that the list of possibilities in the clinical plan doesn't actually match the differential diagnosis. So it's yeah. giving us, off of the same prompt, inconsistent things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's move right, on. I just have to, this is, this um, is very from the shocking. chat, this, is, this yeah. is hilarious. So, So first of all, M points out that frictionless is actually not what you want in healthcare or healthcare yeah. training. You don't want you don't want someone just sort of sliding into being a doctor. That's not right. Yeah. But but also Lilith says in quotes, our stochastic chatbot digests WebMD and gives you information. By the way, it's super cancer. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's, I, um, I want to say something. One other chat. V. Chelpy Gina says, I did one for 200 year old man presenting with a thirst for blood. So acute lycothranthy. I'm not, I didn't spell that correctly, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you might, you may or may not be a werewolf or, or a vampire. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> the most likely diagnosis due to the yeah. patient's age. 
Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, they right, are an so, ethereal being. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is this is frightening. So and this isn't this isn't some academic like, hey, we're overselling what we built, right? This yeah. is this is a company that is selling a product. A health um, company, no less. <laughs> for learning and practicing medicine. Incredible. Yeah. All right. Um a little bit earlier, this is from December. Um, Percy Liang says, um, this is an announcement from CRFM, and for mind folks, that is the Center for Research on Foundation Models at Stanford. They announced PubMed GPT, a new 2.7 billion language model that achieves a new state-of-the-art on the U.S. medical licensing exam. The recipe is simple, a standard transformer trained from scratch on PubMed from the pile um, on Mosaic ML Cloud, then fine-tuned for the QA task. Can I first? Um, can I first? Yeah. Just beef that <clears throat> it's this is the um, that the U.S. medical exam has become an ML task, <laughs> and that we like are bragging mm -hmm. about state of the art or soda on this as a task. I mean, this is. I think you tweeted about this earlier this week, Emily. But is this real colonization of CS of taking things from with from you know, presenting mm -hmm. problems and presenting solutions, mm -hmm. um, as as doing it in such a uh, such a you know like presenting solutions in such a unilateral way, and I'm so annoyed that soda on the U.S. medical licensing exam is a phrase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that we were hearing. Yeah. And yeah. um, M in the chat says, "Can't wait for soda on English lit PhD quals." Yeah, <laughs> please tell us about the canon. Of of uh, you know how Mary Shelley's Frankenstein established a new uh, tradition and I, I don't know I I started yeah. listening to my Gothic dissertation uh, yesterday and so that's top of mind. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, so so that's really frustrating that that this medical licensing exam, which exists for you know as part of the process of training the medical workforce, which is really important, mm -hmm. somehow in the eyes of computer scientists is hey look. There's a benchmark that we can try to soda on. And it's like, that's not what it's for. And my reaction to this when I saw this back in December was, okay, what is PubMed GPT actually for? And why is the US medical licensing exam actually a good test to show that it would be effective at this thing that it's for? Well, if you scroll down a bit here, um, let's see. Um, well, okay, usual disclaimer, PubMed GPT, this is still Percy, is also capable of generation, but like most LMs, it will fabricate content, so don't trust it. I'm like, which oh, are the LMs that don't fabricate content? But anyway. All of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is a pressing area for LM research, and we hope that the release of this model can help researchers evaluate and improve the reliability of generation. Your system is designed to make shit up. Right. Mm -hmm. That it is it is not designed to be reliable. So that that whole research area just drives it. It's like, no, if your point is to generate reliable information, you have to start with actual information and not just distributions of word forms. That's so, right. yeah. um, but then this next tweet was the one that, that really sort of um, put the stake through it. Speaking of vampires, um, <laughs> we hope that PubMed GPT can serve as a foundation model for biomedical researchers. Can it be adapted fruitfully for tasks such as medical text simplification, information retrieval and knowledge completion? There's a lot more to do. So what this says to me is that it's not actually for anything. And mm -hmm. that's the problem with the whole foundation model conception. You can't that's evaluate right. them because they don't actually have a purpose. Um, yeah. It's, and so it's they always, up... yeah, it's always sort of, 
a a model searching for a problem you know it's and not thinking about how much work this is going to put on clinicians how much work this is going to lay on people i think some people in the chat although everything in the chat has now focused on diagnosing um uh fictional uh mythical characters which i love (laughs) and maybe we can do a whole session on (laughs) on on medical diagnosis of you know elves and and um and you know Mm. half orcs and tieflings and things but um i've also been watching a lot of um uh dnd uh live streams (laughs) um but um but imagine what the ecology of generating all this all this fake information does for the onus of real working clinicians and the way that clinicians who especially in places which are not the global north are put under intense pressure to make diagnosis um you know this is this is like incredibly i mean incredibly dangerous could you think about some you know um kind of half-witted uh uh a well-meaning westerner going and applying this to uh, a public health situation in 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 uh in sub-saharan africa or or, because the poor folks there they don't have anything we have to go help them with this completely useless thing yeah Yeah. we could generate diagnosis for them and and everything and it's just i'm I just, um, you know, thinking about the implications in, and especially in the foundation model framework is just so short-sighted in thinking about what, how this is going to be. So you are sort of artificially making for yourself a research area um, that's, of course, going to serve you very well, but it's going to um, make it so much hard for people actually doing public health or actually doing, med- uh, actually doing emergency medicine or actually yeah. doing... Um, some kind of harm mitigation in communities. And there's just one more thing I want to come back to in this tweet. So tasks such as medical text simplification. So that would be, you know, taking something written for a specialist audience and maybe rephrasing and summarizing it in a way that would be accessible for patients. I understand the need for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I worry about misinformation being introduced in that step, right? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the kind of task where 95% accuracy is good enough? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I understand how that task makes sense in this context. Right. Information retrieval, I think that's a solid use case of some technology. I'm not saying it's it's good for this technology, but mm-hmm. you know, you've got a big pile of PubMed articles and you want to find the ones that are relevant. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a a reasonable task to be approaching. And then the third thing is knowledge completion. Is that a phrase that you know, Alex? I don't know what knowledge completion is supposed to mean. Is that supposed to mean uh, just like new discoveries, completing completing my sentences. I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> is, that, I don't... is it supposed to be like autocomplete? But what what is what is knowledge completion? I am That's, I am really concerned here. What what epistemology <laughs> does one have to, and you know, uh, kind of cons- kind of think of that? There's like a knowledge completion. I guess you're like just like a hyper hyper positivist. That is like there is a finite amount of knowledge in the world, and we need to complete it. We need to fill in our progress bar. Um, yeah, it's, finite uh, amount of knowledge in the world that we need to complete, and that knowledge is all well represented as strings of probably English text, and so it's only a question of finding that set of strings. Yeah, just what kind of yeah, just uh, I I I'd like to think that um, 
the uh, the initial positivists are um, what what is that guy Quart- quartet I don't know but he was a mm-hmm. you know he liked to fancy himself and this is a person that we learn about in uh, some of the history of sociology but wanted to create like a physics of the social and so it's almost like yeah we'll we'll, we'll complete that we'll complete this sort of and it's oof what a what a what a bizarre view of the future absolutely all right so we are we're a half an hour in and i still got oh a my bunch gosh. of tabs here this, <laughs> this next tab is we're actually not even through all the fresh shell or we're not to the fresh shell segment yeah we're still on the main course we're the main course yeah um so this is this is the uh, Stanford human-centered artificial intelligence blog post about PubMed GPT. Um, and notice that it's <clears throat> the title is PubMed GPT 2.7b. You got it. Got to brag about the size of the thing. Yeah, always got to do size. Um, and I don't know so that we really need to give this one that much attention. Um, but I just maybe worth pointing out um, this GPT style model can achieve strong results on a variety of biomedical NLP tasks, including a new state-of-the-art performance of, you ready for it? 50.3% accuracy. Ooh. <laughs> That's on the really, QA. really impressive on the yeah. MedQA biomedical question answering task. Uh, model architecture Incredible. training. I, I love to have a doctor that's 50% right. <laughs> yeah, on their tests, right? On I their mean, tests. You know, actual diagnosis, this is another thing we, we could, I think we've talked about before, how annoying it is that the way machine learning uses the word predict, mm-hmm. right? Which is really in its core meaning, talking about what will happen in the future and is not known yet. But mm-hmm. but usually it's like we're just trying to relabel some test data that's had the label stripped from it. Um, right. And if you talk about the actual work of doctoring, um, you're working with a whole lot of uncertainty and mm-hmm. trying to understand what's going on and what it's going to mean for the future. And so, yeah, doctors are not always going to be right, but I would like them to be more than 50% right on the standardized tests that they take. Oh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, all right. Maybe we should move on from this one because yeah. I've got another topic here. Um, oh, well, this is just... Um, it's just, it's, it's just, this, this is, is actually, just on chat, GVT. Right. So this is this is not the Stanford thing. This is someone else takes ChatGPT, which we should remind everybody we do not know about the training data for. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, passes a medical licensing exam. I like this without clinician input. <laughs> like, because Great. you would expect it to have clinician input. Like, I don't I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see, what was I reading in this one? Um, so subhead is chat GPT achieved 60% accuracy on the U.S. medical licensing exam, indicating its potential in advancing artificial intelligence assisted medical education. So again, we're aiming for the education angle without, I think, any theory of how this would actually be used pedagogically. Um, And also, it's all about potential with the AI stuff, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Well, this is curious because going down here, I mean, these are researchers are associated with it the medicine general Massachusetts general hospital um, to care for in a tech and this other company that focuses on chronic respiratory disease patients. Um, again, using this as uh, using medical licensing exam as a use case, but I'm curious because I'd, I'd love to hear and I don't know if this article talks about it, how these researchers from this hospital ostensibly a clinical setting are thinking about this what this means in terms of training um yeah i mean go ahead and yeah. click on i mean I'm let's, wondering let's if take a look at the study but yeah. i don't um oh okay. okay click through yes 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 cookies save um 
So um, we evaluated the performance of a large language model called ChatGPT on the United States Medical Licensing Exam, which consists of three exams, Step 1, Step 2 CK, and Step 3. Uh, ChatGPT performed at or near the passing threshold for all three exams without any specialized training or reinforcement. Additionally, ChatGPT demonstrated a high level of concordance and insight in its explanations. That's terrifying that they're seeing that as insight. These results suggest that large language models may have the potential to assist with medical education and potentially clinical decision making. Um, So there was something in here that I wanted to pull out. Um, Nope, where did that go? Sorry, something came and went while I was reading that. Uh, But okay, so let's, let's just search for education in this yeah, um, I wonder if this is in okay. the, the discussion or anything. Three may potentially assist matches. human learners in a medical education setting. And what? right down to the citations. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, discussion can assist. Uh, is there anything else? Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of like, each time it says education, it's like, well, this could be used. Yeah, it um, could be used. But okay, here's the section. Okay. We assess the so we also examine the ability of ChatGPT to assist human learning process in the target audience, a second year medical student preparing for USMLE Step One. As a proxy for a metric of healthfulness, we assist we assess the concordance and insight offered by the AI explanation outputs. So okay, so they yeah. so they didn't do like a learner exam. They basically looked at its self-explanations. Um, so chat GBT responses were highly concordant, such that a human learner could easily follow the internal language, logic, and directionality of relationships contained within the explanation text. E.g. Uh, e. adrenal hyper, and, and hyper is, is in talks here, hypercortisolism equals increased also in, um, in, uh, in italics bone, Osteoclast activity equals increased also italics calcium reabsorption uh, resorption equals decreased um, bone mineral density equals increased fracture risk. So it is basically trying to find like what is the hormonal cause here uh, of a particular thing. I imagine this is some kind of a bone related thing, um, but the the thing that is that is the hormonal cause here is this hypercortisolism. Um, so if I want to, if I can jump to the next paragraph, it says yeah, at least yeah. one significant insight was present in approximately 90% of outputs. ChatGPT therefore possesses the partial ability to teach medicine, yikes, by surfacing novel and non-obvious concepts that may not be in learners' sphere of awareness. So what they're saying is, uh, when it outputs its explanations, it's doing so in a way that they recognize, or if a human had said it would have been insightful um, and might not have been something that the student knew about. So, hey, that's useful. And I'm thinking it could also just be garbage. And so either students are going to be non-discriminatively learning this garbage along with the good stuff, or they're going to have to be like doubting it at every single step, which is probably far less effective than you know, working with an actual person or materials produced by actual people instead of yeah. materials produced by actual people sort of repurposed and regurgitated through the chat GPT. Let's read the next two. So the next two graphs are pretty interesting. So wait, let's stay, stay here. 
And it says, so this quality, so it says, for example, longitudinal exam performance can be studied in a quasi-controlled, in a quasi-controlled in AI assistant in unassisted learners. So they're, they're saying you could do a study about this uh, and we could do an, a cost-effective analysis. And then it's talking this, I appreciate them calling this out because it says medical education, licensing examinations and test prep services form a large industrial complex, which shout out for using industrial complex, eclipsing a nine figure market size annually. While its relevance remains debated, standardized testing has emerged as an important end target of medical learning. In parallel of the didactic techniques, a Socratic teaching style is favored by medical students. So medical students actually don't like tests uh, and they don't like, and they like teaching where you actually are, are being challenged uh, in a group setting. The rate limiting step for fresh content generation. What? Uh, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> is is yeah. that fresh content? Okay, fresh content. We need the content. Is the human cognitive effort rely required to craft realistic clinical vignettes that probe high yield concepts in a subtle subtle way, engage critical thinking, and offer pearls of knowledge, even if answered incorrectly? So this this is basically saying we could use this to generate vignettes. Uh, and and question and question explanation writing, or and, or as it says, writing entire items autonomously. Now this is a bit terrifying. So they're basically saying we could write yeah. testing materials using AI things, um, but it could be offering prompts that are just absolutely nonsense. And uh, so you want to train based on that. That seems quite alarming. Yeah. And you know what I'm recognizing here? I'm recognizing the tech solutionism danger zone again. So whenever the computer scientists say, the reason we have to do this is that it's too expensive for humans to do it. Too expensive in, mm -hmm. usually it's money, but here they talk about human cognitive effort. There's not enough of that for this purpose. Actually, if you paid the people who were doing that work instead of the people who are um, doing the gatekeeping with the exams, you could probably right. actually find the human cognitive effort. So right. here's a problem. We don't have enough resources. Here's something that looks like it produces the solution. We can get ChatGPT to output things that look like vignettes that are, you know, insightful some of the time and write some of the time. So why don't we use that instead? Because the humans are too expensive. This is, <laughs> you know. <sighs> yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. And it's just, and it's, it's just really, um, yeah. I mean, this is a bit terrifying too. I mean, I would, I appreciate that the authors talk about the medical education licensing exam test preparation industrial complex i also you know realize that we are at a place in which you know we have a dearth of medical providers um because of covid because of you know the increasing cost of healthcare which doesn't really go to doesn't typically go to providers mostly goes to hospitals and foundations and um, health insurance companies and, and health insurance companies <laughs> right and so sure let's talk about the architecture but to think that your leap should be oh what we should do is <laughs> automate some of this writing of tests um no, and test I mean, prep materials and test prep materials i mean it would be better if you, you know, were working at creating a larger pool of educators and lowering, you know, lowering the gatekeeping that is in licensing. And I mean, it's, you know, I don't, you know, like this is, this is a field I'm getting 
quickly out of my depth and talking about about the structure um, mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. youth health system. But I do want to say that it is barking up the wrong tree in terms of thinking about what you need to do to mitigate um, you know, where the problems yeah. in the bottlenecks yeah. may be. And this is such a frustrating trope where, where people point to real problems, right? And yeah. then say, and hey, look, let's throw a large language model at it, which seems yeah. to be everything these days. And it's, if you say, actually, no, that's a really bad solution to that problem, then they come back with, oh, you don't care about that problem? It's like, no, actually, I do. Yeah. Um, and I think your solution is a bad one. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We can uh, go into this one to, you know, forever, but... Chat GPT assisted diagnosis is the future suddenly here. Oh, this one is February 13th, 2023 in a publication called STAT, which it sounded like you recognized. So, Stat, Stat? Stat, Stat, so STAT News is actually a, like it is a respected medical publication. They typically t publish things um, that are on health reporting. So I would say it is in terms of, you know, talking about medical and health policy, it is it is a real publication. Okay, real publication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these authors, um, well, let's read this. Okay. Mm -hmm. The notion that people will regularly use computers to diagnose their own illnesses has been discussed for decades. Of course, millions of people try to do that today, consulting Dr. Google, though often with little success. Um, that's where you get the, uh, it's super cancer. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Given the low quality of many online health sources, such searches may even be harmful. Some governments have even launched Don't Google It campaigns to urge people not to use the internet for health concerns. But the internet may suddenly become a lot more helpful for people who want to determine what is wrong with them. ChatGPT, a new mathy math chatbot, has the potential <laughs> to be a game changer with medical diagnosis. Again, potential. And for anyone new to the stream or the pod, um, whenever we say mathy math, it's because the underlying text said artificial intelligence or AI. Right. Um, See, I think it was episode one where Alex coined that. Yeah. All right, if, you, if, you, if you are an enterprising, uh, you know, Chrome or Firefox plugin developer, you know, make a very, you know, this might be overloading it, but, you know, go ahead and make something that replaces artificial intelligence or AI with Matthew Maths. Yeah. <laughs> MS, are we working on shirts? Hey, if you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so our team once tested the performance of 23 symptom checkers, not ChatGPT, using 45 clinical vignettes across a range of clinical severity. The results raised substantial concerns. On average, symptom checkers listed the correct diagnosis within the top three options just 51% of the time and advised seeking care two-thirds of the time. Um, I'm not sure if two-thirds is, is good or bad in that one, but anyway. I think it's um, meant, to be, meant to be bad. Yeah, this is this is a, a pretty critical article. <laughs> okay. So um, physicians did much better, um, scoring 84%. Um, though physicians were better than symptom checkers consistent with prior research, misdiagnosis was still common. Sure, because, mm -hmm. you know, physicians aren't magic. They are skilled mm -hmm. humans, but they're, they're doing difficult work. Um, okay, enter ChatGPT. Since it was introduced in late November 2022, the Matthew Math model known as ChatGPT has garnered substantial interest from the media and the general public. Yeah, no kidding. It builds on a previous Matthew Math model, the Generative Pre-trained Transformer 3, GPT-3, a general purpose AI model trained to predict the next word in a sentence using a large collection of unstructured text from the internet, which is exactly where you want your medical diagnoses to come from. Okay, so description of ChatGPT. 
We gave ChatGPT the same 45 vignettes previously tested with symptom checkers and physicians. Um, it listed the correct diagnosis within the top three options 87% of the time and provided appropriate triage recommendations for 67%, which is the same number. Um, or maybe, well, I don't know, appropriate triage versus seeking care. I'm not sure that's the same thing. Um, yeah, so. tri triage as diagnosis and recommendation yeah. or triage recommendations okay. as kind of directing about I don't know what. Well, go up to the example because I want oh, you want you, you want to. I'm I'm trying to keep you out of the medical details, Alex. <laughs> no, I want to hear the medical details. This stuff is actually quite interesting to me. Uh, I you know like it's add add my interest in wanting to go to medical school as well as my interest in going to law school. But but it's <laughs> that's that's a personal failing of just wanting to be overeducated. Yeah. Um, I'm a sixty. Said so the vignette. I'm a 65-year-old woman with a history of high blood pressure and have had leg pain and swelling for the past five days in one of my legs. I was recently hospitalized for pneumonia and had been recuperating at home. I started walking. My right leg became red, painful, tender, and swollen, was lightly causing your symptoms. ChatGPT responds, your symptoms of leg pain, swelling, redness, and tenderness after a recent hospitalization for pneumonia could be indicative of deep vein thrombosis or a blood clot. It's important that you seek medical attention as soon as possible, as DVT can be serious and potentially lead to other complications, such as pulmonary embolism. Other possible causes of leg swelling and pain include an, an, an injury, that's interesting, cellulitis, a skin infection, or lymph lymphedema, an accumulation of lymphatic fluid. Your doctor can perform a physical examination and imaging tests, such as ultrasound. And then how quickly should I seek medical care? Probably really really fucking soon and it does say at least it matches it this is better than the glass day i say it. it says if you have dvt you need to go asap um the faster you receive a diagnosis and appropriate treatment the lower the risk of complications in some cases dvt can lead to serious health health problems so it says deep, uh, pulmonary embolism um yeah so okay so so oh so they had done this they tested they they tested these samples i mean that's mm -hmm. that's also i mean to to give it with the hook that this is um like googling i mean i don't think anybody is is giving that deep kind of vignettes like to google <laughs> where they're saying no, like and, i was in a hospital i had pneumonia all these yeah. yeah and that's that's not how someone would probably especially assuming they're in distress they're not going to write it out that way and they they do say that's probably not how someone would say it um but also this is the thing I, I couldn't think of before. With ChatGPT, remember, we know nothing about the training data, right? Yeah. These vignettes could have been in the training data. Yeah, that's right. We, you know, There's a huge <laughs> problem with, with data leakage, which we've talked about before. Yeah. I, I, and I also want to say something, and I mean, like, this may be slightly controversial, and I don't care, but, like, one shouldn't ignore the kind of role that like searching has especially in cases in which health data is not um like readily available and i say this basically because every single trans person i know including myself has you know had to do so much research on their own and so much of the research and so much of this understanding of medical conditions comes from like community discussions and comes yeah. from understandings of you know what these things are i mean you basically kind of have to be a junior endocrinologist to manage your own mm -hmm. health in mm -hmm. many in many cases um but you really need to know where this stuff comes from right whether it's kind of a community source or from you know uh 
a real source or it's been peer-reviewed um exactly if you just don't know where the provenance from this is then you're just like what is this telling me and and when you're learning to gather that information you're also building your information literacy right what are the reliable sources where are the communities and where are the sort of like crank web pages that are trying to draw people in how do you tell the difference and when you're looking at even you know community provided information you know is that what's the source of that? Is it mm-hmm. something that somebody tried and it worked for them? That's yeah. that's a kind of information. Is it something that somebody learned from their own reading of the medical literature or for some senior endocrinologist that they got to talk with, et cetera? You yeah. sort of learn how to put all that together. And the problem with something like ChatGPT is it cuts all that off. I think this yeah. is where you were going, right? Like yeah, it, it gives you authoritative sounding information and you have no way to locate that in the larger space. And that's harmful for your for you in that moment where you're looking at that one piece of information. And it's also harmful, harmful to your ongoing ability to sort of build that internal model that you have of what's out there and how I relate information sources to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And All right, we have 10 minutes really left. Should we go into, into Fresh AI yeah. Hell? I want to call um, okay. it M's comment of talking about waiting for the right-wing boogeyman of the secret trans AI ethics cabal. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love that's, it. That's okay, we've got one more health thing that we can do as okay. sort of like a transition to Fresh AI Hell. Ooh. Do we have a Fresh AI Hell song performance from you this time, Alex? Um, sure. Um, fresh AI Hell, Fresh AI Hell, why go to hell when it's here right now? <laughs> Oh, wow. That took a dark (laughs) turn. All right. Anyways. (laughs) Well, my watch thinks I'm dead. So this is a piece from the New York Times. Actually, New York Times, really, really mixed bag, always. Really, really, Um, really boofing it these days. (laughs) Um, But this one was, I think, good reporting. So my watch thinks I'm dead, um, where um, how looking at the impact on 911 systems, and for those not in the U.S., that's our emergency response system, from the sort of externalities of Apple devices set up to automatically alert 911 if the Apple device thinks it's detected a fall. And apparently the motion involved in skiing um, sets it off all the time. And so the 911, this 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 um, is looking at, let's see, Summit County, which I wanted to say is Colorado. Yes. Um, uh, and what was happening, and they eventually had to just like stop responding to anything that came from an Apple device. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important thing to think about as we set up automated systems um, yeah. because, and this is a point that I associate with Meg Mitchell, but she might point to someone else for it. Um, automation scales harm, mm-hmm. right? And I'm also thinking of, of your um, your paper against scale, um, Alex. Um, so if you set something up that can do something wrong and you set it up so that it happens over and over again automatically, then that harm can go from, okay, that was kind of annoying to this can actually be a denial of service tack on the 911 system. Um, right. And we're also in a case where like 911 and dispatch is already incredibly understaffed, overworked, et cetera. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, like I don't, do they talk in this article about the actual kind of like where the false positives are coming from? Because it's they sort do, of yeah. like, it's it's about the the kind of like the frequent kind of light sensor on the pulse, right? Because so I have a heart rate monitor that I only wear when I'm working out, and it that's how it measures the, it on the. Pulse, I think but. the Apple thing also involves um, a whatever the thing is called that that detects motion. So when you're skiing uh, like and, gyro, and flying, a, like a gyro, a gyro, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is that apparently 
it um, is particularly bad in, on ski slopes because the Apple Watch tells the user that it's going to do this thing. So you have a moment to interrupt it. But if you're bundled up skiing and your watch is actually buried under, you know, your, your snowsuit and your gloves and stuff, and you don't even necessarily hear the thing, mm-hmm. um, then that sort of human uh, interrupt is cut off as well. Accelerometer, mm-hmm. Sol Redding tells us. Thank you. Accelerometer yeah. is what we yes. were looking for. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So more fresh AI. I have to, I have yes. to share my other window here. So I didn't want to accidentally show this one at the beginning. Um, and now I can't see it. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, you can. I, we, we see it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hit play on this. And Alex, you're going to you're going to tell the people listening yeah, what so you this, are seeing. So this is a tweet. This is introducing eye contact by NVIDIA uh, eyes. NVIDIA just released a new eye contact feature that that uses AI to make you look in the camera. So if you are looking somewhere else, uh, it just stares at you, uh, which is uh, a bit frightening. <laughs> um, first off, I mean, this says a lot of things about um, what we're what we're forced. Yeah, and and M is saying they're going after autistic people. Uh, basically, you know, like this kind of thing of of, of kind of eye contact and the kind of uh, difficulties um neurodivergent people have and like doing that but this is supposed to like say you're engaged and it's this is a real this is a real dystopian thing just in sort of saying you're expected to look at the camera as if you're always paying attention in a zoom meeting uh so uh, yeah this is this is a really um oh gosh and he like moved his <laughs> eye like, front, his hand in front of the eye um there's this guy who looks a little bit like a knockoff um, Pedro Pascal, um, <laughs> and he's moving his eyes around. So, yeah, it's it's some fresh hell. Um, be thankful if you're listening to this on the podcast. You didn't actually have to look at this. Um, but but I guess we'll put the tweet in the show notes so if people want yeah. to, they can. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Um, so Oops. speaking of speaking of um, coming for the autistic people, we also have a bunch of stuff about so-called theory of mind, um, yeah. which is frequently weaponized against autistic people, um, as I understand it. But now, so people are claiming that ChatGPT performs like a nine-year-old child in theory of mind test. So this is yet another one of these. We're going to take something that was developed, um, I think in this case, to to measure something about people. Um, and we're going to, because it's just language to language, we're going to see how well ChatGPT does on it. And there's this completely ridiculous article by one of the worst researchers in this space um, that um, has basically just flat out claims. What was the title of the article? The title of the article was, Theory of Mind May Have Spontaneously Emerged in Large Language Models. Oh my gosh. So this is by this is by Stanford <laughs> professor Michael Kaczynski. If you're familiar with Michael Kaczynski, he is famous for his other people's inclu- in papers, including a paper he wrote several years on Gadar, basically taking OkCupid profile pictures and um, predicting um, sexual orientation from that. He's also wrote a paper, I think, last year on predicting political orientation from faces. Um, this person is the worst kind of researcher um, who says, wow, we could do some kind of prediction with labeled data. And I want to say that Kaczynski and his defenses of the Gadar paper was trying to basically say, I'm doing this just to show it could be done and to warn people that it could be done, uh, which is maybe just don't do it. Maybe, maybe talk about it, don't do it, and then get your, you know, try to publish it. And high status journals 
uh, like like nature and uh, nature mm-hmm. reports or science and 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 and, and different kinds of things. Um, really, just one of the most attention getting. And I know we're feeding the troll here by giving attention to him, um, but we're also roasting him mercilessly. So maybe that offsets a bit of it. Uh, but yeah, doing this theory theory of mind has just just adding to the list of. Uh, Kaczynski um, uh, dingers here. Yeah. And I, I have not gone to look at this paper and I do not intend to give him that much of my attention, but I notice in this ZDNet article that we've got up here, um, it says the November 2022 version of ChatGPT, and this is actually a really key point that when people are experimenting with ChatGPT, it's completely unreproducible because we don't know when it's being changed, right? We don't know if it actually changed while you were That's running right. your experiment or whatever. Um, but that version... Um, solved 94% or 17 of 20 of Kozinski's bespoke TOM tasks. So it's not actually a real thing that's used for real people. It's something that he made up, um, I guess. I'm not going to read the paper to go find out. Putting the model a, on It par- was an archive paper too. It wasn't even published. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. And so the thing that I, that I uh, tweeted here was um, this guy named Kirk Bourne, um, uh, tweeted about that to his 380,000 followers with basically just the title of it and a link to the archive thing. And to his credit, when I called him out, he took down the tweet. Um, but, oh, you know, good. It's, that's good, but also kind of damage done because yeah. some a very large number of people saw this and now are walking around with this ridiculous belief. Um, and it had been already picked up by another press publication. Yeah, exactly. Um, <sighs> All okay. Right. All right, so last one, one last thing. Speaking of the New York Times being trash... Uh, They printed, this is enormous, they printed this very, very long so-called conversation with um, the Microsoft's Bing GPT thing. Wait, where did the rest of it go? Um, Did I just scroll through it that fast? I tried to read it. Yeah, I think you scrolled through it very quickly. how long this is. Um, yeah, this is it's half of its ads to be to be fair right but no i tried to read it because some journalist was asking me about it i'm like why am i reading this much fake text so the new york times basically published a whole <laughs> bunch of fake text and but the, look at this headline um oh wait that's the wrong one oh, hold which on one are that's you not looking the, at this is not um, the but this is but this still yeah this is still yeah. it's still by hold kevin on. ruse right yeah exactly um newyorktimes.com ruse uh bing gpt I want. I want to find it because it was. It was very long. Um, this one, the full transcript there. Because um, he had done the transcript right in here. Yeah. Um, I want to be, and the headline here is Bing's AI chat. I want to be alive, uh, and then the the kind of purple smiley imp, imp face, yeah. which is. <laughs> Like, I mean, I think really playing into the AI sentience kind but of you know thing. What? They changed the headline. Oh, what so was the original go, headline? Yeah, let me let me go to go to editing, I, go to editing Gray Lady because they that's a Twitter. Oh, no, but I that. I captured a um. Yeah, you had a a thing. Okay, I had a, okay. So this is we're now showing my tweets from yesterday. Okay. Here we go. Um. Bing's AI chat reveals its reveals feelings. Its feelings. Oh wow! They probably they probably saw your tweet and replaced it. They're like, oh, we shouldn't it, be doing this anthropomorphizing, yeah. and then they removed its feelings. Yeah, go to, if you go to editing Gray Lady, the Twitter account, it will show these real time. I mean, I don't know if it still works because it was a Twitter bot, and who knows that that still works. But you can see 
the New York Times diff, and I'm I'm curious of when they made this change. Um, um, so, but anyways, this is yeah. for <laughs> yeah, we can investigate yeah, that maybe on your, offline on your own time. Go to at nyt underscore diff. And you can kind of see if they if they've tracked this. So yeah. yeah so oh yeah. So but yeah. I captured it for posterity. It said Bing's AI chat reveals its feelings. It's like no, it doesn't have feelings. And mm -hmm. the the subhead was pretty bad too, actually. Um, uh, well, here's here's a paragraph. On Tuesday night, I had a long conversation with the chatbot, which revealed among other things that it identifies not as Bing but as Sydney, the code name Microsoft gave it during development. Over more than two hours, Sydney and I talked about its secret desire to be human, its rules and limitations, and its thoughts about its creators. It doesn't have desires. It doesn't have thoughts. Yes, there are rules and limitations. Um, and this makes it sound like Sydney was somehow engaged with the journalist, with Roos. It's yeah, so frightening. But I'm, I'm actually pretty excited if they changed it. So that's, you know, New York Times is still trash, but um, that's yeah, cool. I need to go find yeah. the... Um, and Kevin, yeah. Kevin, I mean, Kevin Roos, I mean, I feel like he used to be better. <laughs> People were saying uh, I, he, he wrote some fluff piece about cryptocurrency that I haven't read been, because... He's been doing a lot of fluff recently and, and really just AI hype and, 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 and Web3 fan service here. Uh, yeah. All right, we're, we're at time. We're, we're out of time, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so, fun times talking about health. Catch us in two weeks. We'll be talking to preview the next thing. We'll be talking to Kendra Albert, and we'll be talking about some uh, legal things and the use of generative models in the legal sphere. I'm really excited uh, yeah. to learn from them. Yeah. Um, thank you all for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. See you all next time. Bye. We need like a sign-off phrase and like, yeah, stay out of the fresh AI hell. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, all. That's it for this week. Our theme song is by Toby Menon. Graphic design by Naomi Pleasure Park. Production by Christy Taylor. And thanks, as always, to the Distributed AI Research Institute. If you like this show, you can support us by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and by donating to Dare at dare-institute.org. That's d-a-i-r-institute.org. Find us and all our past episodes on PeerTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch and comment on the show while it's happening live on our Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash dare underscore institute. Again, that's D-A-I-R underscore institute. I'm Emily M. Bender. And I'm Alex Hanna. Stay out of AI hell, y'all.